It is so great to be with you guys this weekend. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Doug Stride, and I have the privilege of serving as the Morrisville Campus Pastor. A little shout out to Morrisville Campus, and Apex Campus, and Raleigh Campus. Yeah. Well, we've got great things in store for us today. Are you ready? Also, as a uh, Other than campus pastor, I also have the privilege of serving as our Global Hope Director. And you want to hear something cool? Since June, we have sent out nine teams of over 150 people to five different countries around the world. How cool is that? Yeah. But you don't even have to go around the world to be involved in the Great Commission. Next Saturday night, Mike's been telling us about the Rock Your World concert coming up at the Booth Amphitheater. Wanted to remind you about that if you haven't got your tickets yet. You can come and enjoy a great evening of music, as well as help raise some money for two of our long-standing partnerships in Global Hope, both Hope for Haiti Foundation and Jim Hawking and Water for Good. So we're going to have a great time together. Now, some of you have been traveling this summer, right? How many have been to the mountains so far? Yeah, cool. How many have been to the beach this summer so far? All right. We're going to do something fun. I want you to take out your phones, and I want you to open up the Get Hope app. Go ahead and do that right now. If you haven't downloaded the app, go ahead and do it, because we want to hear from you today. You're going to help us to put to rest a debate. So open up that Get Hope app, and you're going to see there a tab that says Greater Than Poll. You're going to hit that tab, and it's going to take you to this great question. Today, we are going to put to rest the great North Carolina vacation destination debate. Say that 10 times fast. Which is greater than, a beach vacation or a mountain vacation? You guys go ahead and choose right now. Which is greater than, beach or mountains? We love both at our home. Our oldest loves the mountains. Our Younger son loves the beach, and our daughter, she just loves to travel. She's like, Dad, just take me anywhere. What about you guys, beach or mountains? Let's see here. Let's see what you're saying. All right, well, 60 to 40 right now, 60% to 40%. So you'll see as people are voting on that, uh, you'll see the results live. So overwhelming majority are saying that you like the beach better. The beach vacations are greater than the mountain vacations. Now, it'd be interesting for us to do this later in the year or in the middle of the winter when there's not a lot to do at the beach, right? And you can go skiing in the mountains. But you guys have spoken. We want to thank you for that. So greater than, why in the world would we do a series called Greater Than? Mike just finished a series, seven weeks on Multiply. And now we're doing greater than. I mean, we learned the greater than, less than symbols when we were in, what, first, second grade math? So maybe you're sitting there thinking, we've got multiply, now we've got greater than, what's coming up next? Algebra according to the Bible. Or maybe we'll do a series called Geometry, God's Way. And God forbid we ever do a series with anything to do with calculus, that would be murder, right? But greater than, we're going to be looking in this series, obviously not about math, but looking at what God sees as a greater than kind of life, but that greater than symbol is a great representation of what our society drives for and that internal drive in all of us to advance, to be better, to be greater than. And I mean, it starts at a very young age, doesn't it, with sibling rivalries? And then as 
Little kids, especially little boys, we, we argue with each other, we fight with each other on whose dad is the biggest, whose dad is the strongest. It's funny, my, my son Garrison came to me recently, he said, Dad, it's hilarious. When I was little, I used to think you were huge, that you had really big muscles. I'm like, wait, you used to think? Come on. As teenagers, we continue to compete. We try to outdo each other in sports, in grades, GPAs in the clothing that we're wearing, in how we look. We even try to outdo each other with the emojis we send on texts or, or with the memes we send over social media. We choose colleges based on rank, based on prestige. We as parents want our kids to be in the best schools. We'll even put them in, in music programs and sports programs and tutoring just to help them excel so hopefully they can be greater at something greater than someone else. As adults, we want to do well at our jobs, of course, because we want to advance. We want promotion to follow. Well, have you ever been in a conversation just to realize that it's turned into who has the bigger bragging rights? Sometimes we call that one-upmanship. One-upmanship. Well, there's this drive, natural drive in most of us, and if it's not a natural drive to advance, it's certainly a societal pressure that is placed upon us to advance, to become better than, to become greater than. But as Christ followers, we are now a part of an upside-down kingdom. It's like Mike was saying in the last series, Multiply, how he showed us that God's view of our personal finances is very different than society's view, right? And it goes with other areas of our life as well. Our, our natural instincts, our, our drive, or at least our conditioning is often in direct conflict with the word of God or with the kingdom of God. But this isn't an American thing. It's not a modern phenomenon or a first world problem. This has been around as long as humans have been around since the fall. So nothing new. And you even see comparison and competition in the pages of Scripture. Now one thing I love about the Bible is it's the inspired, perfect word of God that is written through the pens and the personalities of the individual writers. One of my favorite books is the Gospel of John. It's my favorite of the four Gospels, at least. And one of the reasons I love the Gospel of John is I just feel like so much of his personality comes through in his writing. I want to give you an example. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 3 says this. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Not sure we needed to know who won the running race there, but who's the other disciple that John is talking about? Himself. It's him. And he had to put that in there. This is John, the guy who refers to himself in his gospel as the disciple Jesus loved, as if Jesus didn't love the other disciples, right? I mean, can you imagine being Peter and reading this later in life? You're reading this gospel and John, you're like, seriously? Really? Really, John, you had to go and tell the whole world that you're a faster runner than I am? I mean, think of this. John has just finished this incredible biography, this amazing story of the gospel of Jesus Christ the account of Jesus, he gets to the best part of the story, the twist in the plot where Jesus rises from the dead, and right then, the true John comes out. The competitive John. The John who is always jockeying for position with Peter. Now you might think it's crazy, but we call it selfishness, or self-absorbed, or narcissistic. Hashtag selfie world. 
Call it what you want, but it's a part of all of us. It's in all of us, at least to some degree. Now today we're going to look at another passage from the Gospel of John, and we're going to look or be introduced to the other John, John the Baptist. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to chapter 3 of the Gospel of John. We're going to start in verse 22. If you don't have your Bible or a Bible app, you can follow along on the side screens. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out to the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John, they being his disciples, came to John and said to him, Rabbi, That man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Now this is where the story goes a little bit middle school on us. Can't you just hear these guys complaining? They're like, John, before Jesus showed up on the scene, people were coming to you to be baptized. People were following you and in turn they were following us. But now they're defecting. They're switching sides. They're beginning to follow Jesus. Now, before we're too hard on these guys, this is a part of our human nature as well. We compare. We compete. We want to be a part of the popular crowd. We want to be on the winning team. And if we're not, we're envious. We sulk. We complain. Sometimes we even whine. And you know, pastors, we can be the worst. You tell us that someone is leaving Hope Community Church to go to another church because they like the teaching better or the music better or the family ministries or what have you, and we're like, what do you mean they're leaving? They're going where? What did we do wrong? You mean they don't love us anymore? I mean, we can get envious, we can get territorial, particularly if we begin to lose perspective, the big picture, which, by the way, I love how Mike has been bringing us back over and over again lately to the concept of the big C church. Because here's the thing, God has done, is doing great things in and through Hope Community Church. But at the end of the day, it's not about hope. It's about Christ and his church, his believers around the world. Well, back to the story. Let's, Let's look at John's response to the complaints of his followers. Verse 27. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify, I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Now, we're going to hang out in this story quite a bit this weekend, but I want to make sure that you know this key verse, verse 30, he must become greater, I must become less. And this is really like a key verse for this whole series of greater than. And the point of this verse is this, don't miss this, greater than, sorry, less than is greater than, greater than. Or to use the symbols, less than is greater than, greater than. Stay with me. Going back to verse 30, he says, he must become greater, I must become less. And don't miss those two key words, must become. 
Now, John, the disciple who's writing this account, he's already used this Greek imperative word for must two times already earlier in chapter three when Jesus is having this amazing conversation with Nicodemus, one of the uh, religious rulers. Uh, Jesus says to him in verse seven, he says, you must be born again. It's imperative to be born again in order to get into the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus says in verse 14 and 15, The Son of Man must be lifted up. He's talking about himself and how it's imperative that he go to the cross to die for the sins of the world. Verse 15, why? So that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And then in verse 30, John the Baptist says he must become greater. I must become less. Must what? Must become. Becoming is progressive. It's a journey. It's something that, a journey we go on to become. So in a sense... John the Baptist is saying he, Jesus, must be becoming greater. I, John the Baptist, must be becoming less. Now here's a head scratcher. How does Jesus become greater? Like seriously, think about that for a moment. How does Jesus become greater? How does perfect improve on perfection? How does awesome become more awesomer? Well, here's the deal. Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. The question is, has he become greater in my life? Has he become greater in your life? And it's a matter of focus. Have I turned the camera on myself for a selfie kind of life? Or have I turned it around to focus on Jesus and what he wants? Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to be taking a look at some very practical ways to take the focus off of ourselves and look to God's idea of greatness. But today, I want to lay the groundwork on this less than is greater than, greater than kind of life by digging a little deeper into the story of John the Baptist. I think there's some principles in his life, in his philosophy that we can adopt, adapt as as Christ followers to live this greater than kind of life. And the first one is this, understand your role. Understand your role. John understood his role. Go back to verse 27, chapter 3. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify. I said, I am not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. See, John the Baptist knew his role from the very beginning. It wasn't to try to gain a following for himself. He wasn't trying to get 10,000 followers on Twitter. He wasn't trying to have 3,000 Facebook friends. He knew his role. His role was to prepare the way for the Messiah, to give credence, to testify to who Jesus is and was. And if you flip back a couple chapters to the first chapter of John, flip over there to John chapter 1, verse 6, and this is where John the writer introduces us for the first time to John the Baptist, and listen to what he says. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. You see, John was an eyewitness. He was somebody who had a first-hand encounter with the main attraction, a first-hand encounter with Jesus. And his role was to be a witness, to give testimony to who Jesus was and what that encounter with Jesus was all about. So what about us as Christ followers? It's been 2,000 years. What's our role? I mean, 
Even though it's been 2,000 years, our role is actually very similar to John. Now, he came preceding the Christ. We have come after we know the good part of the story, the death and resurrection. But still, if we have chosen to be Christ followers, we are called to be, we are sent to be witnesses, to give testimony. It's my role to say, hey, I've had a firsthand encounter with Jesus Christ, and it's changed my life. And to be able to give witness to that. Now, we do that through our deeds, We do that through our life, but we also at times do that through our words. And around hope, we call that share willingly. It's one of our five marks of a growing disciple of Jesus Christ to be able to share your story willingly. Um, You know, not being forced to do it. And we, we base that share willingly on this scripture from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Peter says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this by shoving Jesus down their throats. No. Do this with gentleness and respect. You know, around here, we hear, around hope, we hear incredible stories of life change. I mean, extreme transformations of people's lives who have found hope through Jesus Christ and through his church. But maybe if you're a life, you know, you're a long-term Christ follower, maybe you're like me. I, I sometimes refer to myself as a lifer, meaning that I accepted Jesus as my savior at the ripe old age of four, or maybe five. I can't quite remember the exact time or date, but I do vividly remember saying to my father one night, Dad, I want to make Jesus my savior. I want to make Jesus my forever friend. And that night, My father knelt down at my bedside with me and he led me through this simple little prayer to ask Jesus to come into my heart. And I look back at that many years ago and I I consider that to be the starting point for my journey with Christ. Now, I was four or maybe five. So it's not as if Christ saved me out of this incredible life of sin. And for years, I think I carried around a little bit of an inferiority complex that I didn't really have a great testimony until I began to realize the more I'm with Christ, the more I grow and age and mature and realize my weaknesses, realize the temptations in my own life, realize how each and every day I need his grace, the more I'm convinced that I do have a testimony because God did save me from a life of sin, of things I would have done if he wasn't in my life. Without Jesus, I would have a wake of destruction in my past. That's my story. And you, as a Christ follower, if you're a Christ follower, you have a story. And our role is to testify to the main attraction, to what God has done, to who Jesus is and what he's done in our life. And as we begin to testify to Jesus, we see the second thing. We give Jesus center stage. Let's look how this happened in John's life. Still in chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. (laughs) Let me read that again. A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Every time I read that verse, I want to say, John, truly, you have a dizzying intellect. 
But don't miss what he's saying here. He's saying Jesus is greater than me because even though he came after me, he preceded me. He was God before he ever came in the flesh. And John is recognizing that. And then in verse 34, he says, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Amazing words. But I want you to just picture this scene. Picture John the Baptist. I mean, this crazy, eccentric prophet preacher I mean, the ultimate wilderness mountain man. I think if John was alive today, Discovery Channel would do everything in their power to sign him up for a reality TV show so we could just follow him around. He must have been crazy to look at. Running around in camel skins, eating locust and honey, living off of, off of bugs and berries. People must have thought he was nuts. But then people started listening and hearing what he was saying. They started following him as he was going through the Judean countryside, calling out to people, repent and be baptized for the, for the forgiveness of sins. And I'm sure that some people, some followers said, hang on, John, why would we do that? And he says, because the Messiah is coming. The Holy One of Israel is about to be revealed to you. Now, this was huge news for the Jewish people, not fake news. Huge news. I mean, the Jewish people have been waiting for centuries for the long-awaited, the long-promised Messiah. And John is saying, he's coming. I'm about to reveal him to you. And then one day, the Bible tells us that Jesus walks up to John, says, I want you to baptize me. Jesus is coming up out of the water. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove, and a loud voice came out of heaven saying, this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. And at that moment, I'm sure John must have said, it's him. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one I've been telling you about, that I've been saying, he's coming. I'm about to reveal him to you. And it feels to me like at this point in the story, John says, Jesus, you are my king. Take your, take your rightful place. And he gives him center stage. He gives him center stage. If we want to live a life of increasing, where, where Jesus is increasing and we are decreasing in focus, a, a less than is greater than kind of life, it begins with a decision. The decision to give Jesus center stage. The decision to make Jesus number one. You see, following Christ is a line in the sand that you decide to cross. But the decision to follow Christ is not a one-time decision. It's followed up with daily decisions, much like a marriage relationship. 24 years ago, this past May 28th, Dawn and I stood before her father, who was a pastor, and her grandfather, who had been a missionary most of his life, in a small church that her father pastored south of Chicago. It was a Friday night, and we exchanged vows one to another. On that evening, we established a covenant, the covenant of marriage, before our family, our friends, and most importantly, before God. But I tell you, we would have never made it 24 years if it had been a one-time commitment. It was followed up, it has been followed up, continues to be followed up with daily decisions to stay committed one to another and only to each other and to love each other even when we don't feel like loving each other. Man, I've got an amazing wife. I'm sure there's days that she hasn't felt like loving me, but she committed to that and she chooses to do it. I'm a piece of work, I'm telling you. She's incredible. But much like that is our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's followed up with daily decisions. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 
23 and 24. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake, for me, will save it. He's saying daily decisions to continue to follow me. And it's not like society says, if you want to claw your way to the top, don't worry about who you trample on on the way. And, and on your way to the top, don't deny yourself anything. Just accumulate, accumulate. And Jesus says, not in my kingdom. If you want to follow me, be my disciple, then you need to learn to die to self. You need to learn to pick up your cross daily and follow me. You want to save your life? Lose it for my sake. We want to be great in this world? Then let's allow our focus to become great on Jesus. See, following Jesus is active. It's not passive. When we're following somebody, we're pursuing them. And, And the more I pursue my relationship with Christ, the more I pursue Christ, the more everything just falls into place. You know, I can continue, we can continue to focus mainly on ourselves, and we can become great maybe in our own eyes or a few other people's eyes, or we can become kings and queens of our own tiny little kingdom, but if we choose to focus on the king of kings, on Jesus, everything else takes its rightful place, and he begins to take center stage. And then when that happens, we get out of the way. Get out of the way. Go back to John chapter 3, verse 29. Look what John says. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. I love this imagery that John uses here of a, of a Jewish wedding. He's calling Jesus, the bridegroom, or in our terms, the groom, and he's referring to himself as a friend of the bridegroom, or in our terminology, the best man. But the best man in a Jewish wedding had far more responsibilities than they do in a modern wedding. I mean, this best man was almost always the best friend of the groom. They probably grew up together, knew each other better than anybody else did. Often the best man was the one to help pick out the bride for the groom, because he knew exactly who would be best for him, right? And then after he picked out the bride, the best man was often the one to be the wedding planner, to send out the invitations, often the, the, the master of ceremonies at the wedding. But there was also a very interesting custom that they did in Jewish weddings. Toward the end of the reception, as the party was beginning to die down, the best man, not the groom, the best man would escort the bride away from the party He would take her to the bridal chamber. He would allow her to enter that room where she would change and prepare to meet her groom. And he would stand outside and guard the door to make sure nobody else entered that room. And then when the party died down and the groom had finally thanked all of his guests, he would make his way to that bridal chamber. He would see his best friend standing there and he would say, I'm here. I'm here to take my bride. Thank you, friend. I would trust my bride to no one other than you. And that's the imagery that that John is using, powerful imagery. And that's why he says, the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. Well, John the Baptist at this point of the story certainly did get out of the way. His final words in John 3.30, he says, he must become greater I must become less. Those are the last words recorded in John's gospel that John the Baptist said. At this point of the story, 
He just begins to fade from the story. He exits stage left. He bows out gracefully. And we know that soon after that, he was thrown in prison by Herod, and ultimately his head ended up on a platter. Now, maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking, what in the world? If that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm going to have to give up my life. I'm out. But you know, throughout history, God has asked some to give that ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice of their very life to be a martyr for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And still happens today. Thousands of people around the world lose their lives because they are followers of Jesus Christ. But we live in a free country where we are able to express our love for Christ. We're able to come together and worship. So God is not asking most of us to die for him. But he is asking us as Christ followers to live for him. But in order to do that, we have to be willing to make more of Christ and less of ourselves. Well, get out of the way. That has been a little bit of a saying in my own life for many years. Get out of the way, Doug. And, and the personality that God gave me struggles with this at times. I mean, my personality is a very relational, verbal processing, sanguine extroverted, which simply means if you are an introverted, nonverbal person, I will plane wear you out. I'm the kind of person that can turn any conversation back on myself, and then when I'm done talking about myself, I'll look at you and say, all right, all right, enough about me. What do you think of me? <laughs> extroverted, sanguine. I mean, it goes with the personality, so I've had to learn in life, what does that look like for him to become greater and me to become less? And throughout my life, I've had opportunities to be in front of people. Even from a young age, I was involved in music. When I wasn't playing hockey, because I'm from Canada, I was involved in music and musicals, which, by the way, that might be the first and the last time you'll ever hear hockey and musicals in the same sentence. But God gave me opportunities and talents and opportunities to express those. For, for many years in ministry, I had the wonderful privilege of being a worship leader. And I love, and one of my greatest joys in life is to see people worshiping God. But this verse, John 3.30, he must become greater, I must become less. This became one of my theme verses as a worship leader. I had to, almost weekly, if I'd be getting up to lead worship, I had to remind myself, Doug, it's not about you. Don't upstage the groom. Lead people to Jesus and then get out of the way. Lead people to Jesus and get out of the way. And the same is true for all of us as Christ followers. And here's the beautiful thing. As you begin to focus more on Christ, as he begins to be the focus of your life, center stage in your life, your life will actually become more attractive to people. People will be drawn to you. But in actuality, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory, Christ in you that they are drawn to. You see, in this upside-down kingdom, greater than, less than, does actually become greater than. But it begins with a decision, as I said earlier. Now around here at Hope, we are very serious about our mission statement that says we are here to love you where you are, loving people where they are, and encouraging them to grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're new around here and you haven't made that decision to be a follower of Christ, we want you to know that we are so thrilled that you're here, that we love you, and we are called to love you where you are. But as Mike often says, we love you too much to leave you where you are. I mean, Hope Community Church exists because we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world, that the gospel 
is the hope of the world. What is the gospel? The gospel is simply the good news that says God the Father created every one of us for relationship with himself. Sin broke that relationship, but God's love for us was so extreme, so extreme that he sent his only son to live the perfect life, to die the most brutal death that you and I should have paid for our own sins with, and the good news is Jesus didn't stay dead. Third day he rose again, and through his death and resurrection, we have the opportunity to be reconciled to God and also experience everlasting life for eternity. That's the good news. But God holds it out to us, the gospel, as a gift. And like any gift, we choose to accept it or not. And we would love nothing more than for you to, if you haven't made that decision, for you to decide this weekend, you know what? That first weekend of August, you can look back for years to come and say that was when I made the decision to become a follower of Christ. Now you might be thinking, how do I do that? Well, Paul the Apostle says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 to 10, he says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So we would love to help you make that decision. If you would like to know more about what that looks like, what it looks like to be a Christ follower, please stop one of us staff, go to Next Steps after the services and talk to somebody there. But that would be our greatest joy to see you make that decision to be a Christ follower. Now for some of you, you've made that decision maybe recently, maybe years ago, but you haven't followed Jesus into water baptism. You know, I can't talk about John the Baptist and not challenge you about water baptism, but I want to make it clear. We as a church do not believe that water baptism saves you or in any way makes you right with God, but we do believe it's a wonderful next step in your relationship with Jesus. It's a way to publicly declare the decision you've made. It's as if you're going in the water and coming up in front of your friends and family and saying, you know what, I want you to know publicly that I made the decision to be a Christ follower. He's number one, I'm giving him center stage. It's a great way to do it, and we have baptisms coming up in just a few weekends on September 9th and 10th, and we would love for you to be a part of those. If you haven't yet been baptized, you can sign up online or go to Next Steps. But we also heard today about serving locally, globally, but we heard this great loop about what we're doing at uh, Dillard Drive and other schools uh, through the Backpack Buddies, through mentoring programs and incredible opportunities that God has given us. Even at our Morrisville campus, we're about to start doing Backpack Buddies for the local public school, Morrisville Elementary School, and being able to serve them in that way. We've got great opportunities down downtown Raleigh with Ship of Zion, uh, Pastor Chris and Jacqueline Jones, and getting involved in their community outreach days or serving at the galley grocery. So there's great things that you can do to begin to take focus off yourself and put it on others, and in doing so, put it more on Christ. And of course, globally, I would love for every one of you to go on a global trip, to be a part of the Great Commission, to see what God is doing around the world, the same God that we serve here. I want to just, as we close, I want to just share with you a few words from one of our longtime Hope members who just this summer went on his first mission trip ever. He went with his 12-year-old daughter on the middle school soccer team that went to Nicaragua to serve with our partners there, Sunika. And I want you to hear these words of how this impacted him. And think about these words taking his focus off himself and putting it on Christ. He says, 
I was not prepared to see what I saw, smell what I smelled, struggle with what I struggled with, spiritually, physically, or mentally. It changed my life. It softened my heart. It opened my eyes. It made me question my life, my work, my parenting, finances, marriage, goals, failures, successes. He says, I saw that poverty is real, but all people have value. All people have worth and skills to share, and grace is available to all. I'm grateful for the children in the communities that we served. I saw Christ in them, and God allowed me to be Christ to them. I love that line. It was a beautiful thing to be a part of, and I look forward to the mission field in the future. So you can get involved in serving locally, globally, just ways to get our eyes off of ourselves and to get our eyes on what God would have for our lives. And over the next four weeks, we're gonna continue to unpack serving and unpack other practical ways that we can begin to live a greater than kind of life. But it begins here. He must become greater. I must become less. Will you pray with me? Father God, I wanna thank you for your incredible extreme love for us. That when we were away from you, broken by sin, you still pursued us with your love by sending your son to die for us. God, I pray that we would respond to that love, either for the first time, becoming a Christ follower, or as Christ followers, we would respond and say, you know what, Jesus, you need to take a more prominent place in my life, a greater area of focus, God, thank you for your word that is every bit as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. Thank you for the life and the example of John the Baptist who understood his role, who was willing to give you center stage in his life and then get out of the way and let you do what you wanted to do. God, I pray that we would model our journey as Christ followers after that same model. We thank you for our time together. We thank you that you've made it possible for us to be in relationship with you. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.